Think about the concept of rare. It's often synonymous with unique, valuable, precious. But what about in the context of disease? Rare diseases are defined as having an extremely low prevalence, yet an estimated 30 million Americans have one. That's one in 10 people. Listen as we uncover some of the inspiring stories of lives touched by rare disease and see how in the end, we all have rare in common. I'm your host, Andrew Stratton, and I have a rare disease. Since my diagnosis with partial lipodystrophy at age 37, I've become a voice for my community, first through the creation of the patient foundation, Lipodystrophy United, and now through public outreach and national awareness campaigns. It is Rare Disease Day 2021, which also happens to be the three-year anniversary of Rare in Common. We are here with Dr. Nina Nazar of Janssen's Foundation. And by here, I mean still in our home studios. So don't be surprised if you hear a special guest appearance from Oscar the Pup. Today, we're talking about rare disease truths and what it feels like to be a year into the pandemic. Nina Nazar, it's so good to see you on Zoom, I guess. See you is, this is as close as I get to see you in, I don't know, several more months. Welcome. How are you? Hi, Andra. Nice to be talking with you once again. Um, I'm very happy to be on your show and really excited to have this conversation today. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's been, um, geez, a year maybe 11 months since we spoke last. And that was when we were talking about COVID-19, this brand new virus, and how it was keeping everyone home. Does that seem like forever ago? Or how does that feel for you? I know, right? It's, um, it's been interesting. It's been almost a year, and it's been a very long haul, and it does seem like forever. And hopefully there is an end in sight. Do you think? I hope. Please say yes. (laughs) I I hope. I think it's going to be new beginnings for sure. Something different as we move out of this phase. Yeah, it is true. And I want to talk about the boys. I want to hear how you all have managed. But since we're on this, do you think things will go back to quote unquote normal? Or do you think, just as you said, new beginnings? I think it's going to be new beginnings, Andra. I'm a very optimistic person but I'm also very practical. The way things have gone, it doesn't seem like we will be at a complete normal. But then again, what is normal for a disease world, right? I mean, we go go with the flow. We, We take these punches as they come and, you know, we mold our own normal in many cases. And so I'm just gonna be really thankful if we get to meet each other in some form or fashion over the next couple of months. That's really hopeful. And, and realistic point, I think. I'm not sure that we'll get there in a couple of months, but maybe this year. But you're right. I mean, for rare disease, right? Uh, these types of isolation um, times are not completely out of the norm. And I actually think that those of us who are immunocompromised will be in isolation for longer than the general population until maybe we get to true herd immunity. 
And when we actually get those darn vaccines, what do you think about the vaccine rollout? Right. I mean, it's it's been very interesting to see that in many cases, people with rare disease are at the bottom of the totem pole. Once again, we are at the brunt of the distribution practices or malpractices. And once again, you know, we're fighting for access to vaccines and treatment like we always do. I mean, it's so frustrating that we are always the last in the line when it comes to things like this. Yeah. But that, you know, we've come to accept it as being some kind of norm Yeah. that would have surprised us if we were at the front of the line. That's true. It is true. We're always forgotten in this policy making. We're always forgotten in distribution. So, I mean, seriously, Andrea, does it surprise us? <laughs> yeah. But frustration, frustration is definitely very high with our community. I know a lot of our community members, they want to get the vaccine so that they can protect their loved ones at home and the ones who are more compromised. But even then, they're not getting that access. So really, there needs to be more meaningful conversation around rare disease communities and what that access looks like for us. Yes, I agree. And I, I really would love to know who's at the table of these discussions of who gets access and when. But that'll be another fight, right? Yes. We, we've got so many fights. Is that, that fight will have to stand in line. So switching to a, a little more joyful news, how are those beautiful boys of yours? Tell me about the boys and how they've been. Oh, Andra, they're, they're fine. When you talk about fighters, they are exactly that. They are fighters. We've received a few sucker punches over the last couple of months. My son had a broken screw that he was recovering from, and then we got that changed, and then... We had another broken screw. The same screw broke about three months later. And then he had an emergency appendectomy because, you know, why not? Let's just throw that in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we're running at four o'clock in the morning to the ER. And, you know, it's very casual. Like, you know, OK. I'm sure there are people who would hear me laugh when you say he had his appendix out and think, right. what is that monster doing? But it is really, it's just this like, why not? Let's just throw in another disaster. Right. I mean, Andre, he took the pictures, all the images to school. And he said, I'm going to frame these on my wall. And I said, what are you doing? He was packing them up to take to school. And I said, and he said, oh, nothing. I'm just going to bring them out in lunchtime and put them on the table. That's <laughs> awesome. Really? Like science. Just, yeah. you, you know, it's that resilience. Talking about resilience and fighters. It's like, all right, let's make this interesting. Yeah. You've had, I remember... Before COVID, but not too long before COVID, you got a dog, a puppy, right? Yes, Oscar. And how about Oscar through the pandemic? Was that a good decision or what? Oh, it was the best decision. He is the most spoiled dog in, in the world. He, But he is just, he's a darling. He just came when we needed him and he's been such a comfort to our family and to the boys. So yeah, he's one of us. Have the boys been able to go back to school yet? Yes, they have been back in school. And this has been a hard decision for us. But at the same time, my boys thrive on social interaction. If they're home, they're constantly thinking about their pain. They're constantly thinking about things they can't do. And so when we had that choice to send them to school, we did. Because how many more things can we take away from them, right? Yeah. What is that semblance of normal for them? They were out of school a lot anyway for surgeries and treatment and PT. You know, I, I can't remember one day when he's completed a whole day of school. 
So, you know, school is a grounding experience for them. It's been a year of risk, benefit, balance, like no other, I think. Yes. Right. Really analyzing. I've tweeted about it recently and we'll talk about that. I I have had many conversations with my girls about the level of risk I'm willing to allow them to have for their benefit, you know, the risk to me for their benefit. It's very difficult as a parent. I don't want to keep them back because they have to protect me. But there's that level of realism, right? Yes, there is. I have to stay protected. So it's really been a tricky year on that. It is. And I think that, you know, for, for kids, Andre, it really impacts their mental health. When you don't have friends, you don't have people to talk to, you don't, you're stopped from doing the activities that you were used to doing and you become very isolated. I'm lucky that they have each other. They both have the same rare disease. They can relate to each other in many ways. So I'm blessed that way. I mean, it's funny saying that, but in this case I am. But to take all of that away from them is, is another level of, of a punch that I wasn't prepared to go through. I was like, you know what? We're just going to see what happens. And there's the other element, right? Living in fear. I mean, fear is such a cornerstone of our existence in Rare, right? That how can I continue to live in fear every day, always? And then I I don't think we would turn out to be the kind of people we are if we let it control us completely. Two thoughts have come to mind while you're speaking. One, somebody tweeted or posted that, no, we're not all in this together. We're in the same storm Mm. in different boats. Mm. I even can catch myself feeling judgmental about people and their choices. And that is not fair. Everyone's in a different boat on this. And I have to really think about each person's risk benefit is different. Correct. Yeah. The other thought I had was, I was thinking back to our conversation a year ago, when you talked about how... People without rare diseases can really learn from the rare disease population in this time of COVID and isolation, right? Because we're used to having to quarantine for different reasons. Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, and that's why I feel like this has not been a major impact in our lives in, in the sense that we don't do all the things other people do anyway. So, you know, when the friends of my boys always say, well, you know, I feel I feel terrible. I can't go play in the park or run or do this. My, my boys just look at each other and say, yeah, it's got to be hard. It's got to be hard. <laughs> and then like raise eyebrow. Yeah. <laughs> So I think, well, yeah, everybody's not in the same boat and the votes are different. The storm is different. It's about understanding and, and it's about being non-judgmental about these things. And I think our rare community does a good job of that. Like they can compartmentalize or understand other people's experiences that they're not the same. I am hopeful I'll be slightly optimistic (laughs) that others might uh, have a better understanding of what we go through after this is over. I think right now it still feels like too soon. I think people are all so frustrated that they're not, nobody has the energy to feel compassionate about somebody (laughs) else's burden right now. Right. Yeah. These are all truths. 
These are all rare disease truths. And you and I like to really talk about all the tough stuff and the good stuff. But you have started a little bit of a Twitter craze. Tell us about this. Yeah, Andra, I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> it has been incredible, a little bit shocking, a little surprising. Every February, there's this big push for rare disease, Dave, and there's a big uh, push for a greater awareness around rare disease. And I guess it was just a culmination of so many things. One, my kids were going through all this really incredible situation with different surgeries and broken screws, and our clinical trial was prolonged is what I would say, you know, put off uh, because of the pandemic and we had to get all these things together. And so I was really frustrated. And then I began to start seeing these, you know, these little posts and things about, oh, right, disease day is coming and we are strong, we are inspiring and we are this and that. And I just was like, you know, I'm not feeling it this year. I'm not feeling that feeling. And at, at some point, Rare disease becomes inspiration porn, and I hate it. I hate these words, you're so inspiring, or this is amazing, you are so strong. And I did not feel strong at that point, Andra. I didn't. I wanted to run and hide. I felt like crying every day. I felt broken and hurt, so much so that I could not stop the pain of my kiddos. And I knew we had treatments, but it was taking forever. And then this this whole gamut of emotions, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to post out there that, hey, we're going to be doing um, some real hard truths here. And we're going to be speaking about what it really is like living with a rare disease. And so the hashtag was born, rare disease truth. And <laughs> when I first posted, Andra, honestly, I thought one or two people would respond with their truth. And and it would, it would just be another tweet. And then I saw my phone started pinging. And I was like, whoa, what's going on here? And it just cascaded into this huge thing where every day I would get tweets from people and now all over the world. You know, initially it was just America and then it was, you know, a little bit more South America, you know, other places there. Then I saw a little bit of Canada and then, I don't know, I think the third or fourth day it was like Japan and China and Malaysia and India and uh, Pakistan and the Middle East. People are tweeting. And they're all sharing their stories of rare disease. It just wasn't what we were used to for Rare Disease Day. And I was just like, oh, my God, what what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> it, it was just phenomenal. It, it did. It happened really fast. I really feel like we have taken the lid off of a volcano of people who really want to talk about these things and... Um, maybe didn't, you know, I don't know, maybe they didn't feel comfortable. Maybe they were too scared to, you know, maybe they hadn't allowed themselves to feel that way. I, I don't, I think there's multitude of reasons why, but it is fascinating. It is fascinating. I think, you know, for the longest time, there is, there is the need to put up a show, right? Like as superheroes, because that's how we're portrayed. But we're also very vulnerable. We're human beings at the end of the day. And we have all of these range of emotions, you know. It is not an easy role, you know, being a caregiver or being a patient or even being a foundation leader where there's absolutely zero funding uh, available for these 7,000 rare diseases. And we're all scrambling for the crumbs in, in the community. And so I feel that with the pandemic, 
And with all the frustrations we've been feeling, when the when the hashtag came to be, it was almost like a green signal for people to say, hey, I don't have to pretend. Yeah. People are sharing and I can relate. I've got so many private messages from people saying, I just want you to know that what you shared, I felt it too, but I was, I didn't know how to say that. And that has been very powerful. Um, and I think that it's taken off the lid, as you said, over all of those pent up emotions for so many years. Right. It's true. Right. I mean, we have our own experiences and we can listen to our communities. But what is different about this to me is that it is all communities. Yes. This feels different because, uh, you know, I know you and I have we have a lot of friends and people in the rare disease community that we know and love and and follow that don't have the same rare disease. I mean, you and I don't have the same rare disease and there are so many commonalities. So we experience those together. But when we talk about rare disease awareness, I think in general, people still kind of tweet about or focus on their specific rare disease. Right. And on this one, you are not seeing that. So I am hearing from people who are just tagging rare disease truth and not their rare disease or their rare disease alongside. Yes. Um, in a way that I never have. Yes. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's really fascinating. And so I am learning. I am learning from people as well. You know, Andra, the, the, the crazy thing is um, I just ran the analytics for this just to know how far this has reached. And it has reached almost 2 million people. And Whoa. Okay. So for our listeners now, we're Nina and I are having this great conversation midway through February. Yes. We're just halfway through February and you're 2 million. That's crazy. 2 million. 2 million. And there have been 7K interactions. We've had almost a thousand mentions. We've had 5K shares, 3K likes in just, I don't know, maybe less than a week, week and a half. Yeah, week and a half, two weeks. The interesting thing is that you also need to, I mean, in your mind, silently add in the numbers of the people who are watching. Yes. Because there are many, many who've reached out to me as well who are watching, but they're not ready to participate, Mm. but they do feel inspired. They're not ready for whatever reason to put their truth out there, but they really need to hear other people's truths. And I think that's important. Yes, it is. And, you know, it's really been interesting because I had a tweet from somebody in Malaysia who then messaged me privately and said, it's very interesting to see how access works in your country. For us, we still don't have access to drugs that are available in your country for the last six years. And so, you know, that conversation came up. I think that the if anyone were to do a study on the hashtag to see, I think it's vital to people in the rare disease space who are working with rare disease patients, who, you know, whether it's researchers or pharmaceutical companies or uh, medical students to read the hashtag and what's being posted under it, because you will learn so much. There are these little nuances of, of meaning and powerful nuggets there that can really change your practice entirely. I had a student who emailed me and said, this is, this is incredible. I've never ta- thought that patients experience these kind of feelings. 
you know, you're always, and, he, and she said, as an intern, you're always taken to the bed and said, and said, this patient, so-and-so, this is the disease. Yep. And that's about it. And yep. she said to me, reading these stories, you become more than just that number or that code on the file. I have learned so much in this one week than I did in my internship. And that was, that was crazy for me. Uh, the other beauty of this is that Rare Disease Day Awareness, started by Eurortis, is an international event. Yes. Their video this year shows a lot of diversity and internationality. It's just beautiful. But we're seeing that in this too. And, and I love that. Yes. And also we're seeing experiences shared between different diseases that are so common. Yeah. And that's kind of fascinating too, because we always talk about it. Like, you know, the characters change, but, you know, some of our narratives are all the same. But here, it's not just that, but even those feelings of uh, nuanced frustration or or those really profound thoughts, they are shared by everyone. And we're from different diseases, which has really been quite eye-opening. Well, you know, I am kind of fond of the phrase rare in common. And so I would say, <laughs> I would say that, yeah, it's absolutely true. Do you think it's tricky for those in this space who are leaders, the foundation leaders, those who speak a lot, do you think it's harder or easier for them to share some of these truths? It depends really on the kind of truth, right? I feel like Andres, some of the truths that I'm reading are very personal. And um, I bet it's very hard to share those kind of truths. At least for me, I'm pretty sure a lot of people didn't know some of the things I've shared. And they are deeply personal things. And um, and I think I made this post too, that you, know, you are open for attack every time you share something deeply personal about um, you know, your, your life, especially to do with rare disease, especially to do with conditions that are inherited or passed down. You, know, you are open for attack and I feel it's much harder to do so. Um, but the thing is, I'm seeing as soon as one wall is down, another one comes down and another one comes down. Yeah. And, yeah. and so it's allowing people to explore their vulnerability and places and dark spaces that otherwise they would not have. Maybe they would have kept it to themselves. And that has been really eye-opening. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, it's hard because, as you said before, we are expected to be really strong um, and inspirational. And so opening up this gate, I think, is, is really the right thing to do at apparently the right time. What tweets have really hit home for you? This is the one, and I have to read it because it really stood out to me this morning and it made me sit down a little bit and think about that. And it was from Dr. Janice Hansen and she, she wrote, some say the way to get powerful people to pay attention to rare disease issues is to tell stories that make them cry. Why should I have to become pity porn to gain a place at the table? I won't be complicit in perpetuating harmful tropes against my community. Rare disease truth. For a person with a rare disease, even today, telling my story makes me cry. And I, I don't know how to stop those tears. I, I, I don't feel like I'm strong enough to tell my story without crying. But this made me think, you know, like we are, we're perpetuating this very harmful image of our community, right? It's a stereotype 
which is the exact stereotype that, you know, I responded to this by saying, when I went to my first rare disease day, I overheard two uh, representatives talking. They didn't see me, but they, I overheard them say, you know, this is the, the crying month. Be prepared. That's so awful. Isn't it? So awful. It really struck a chord because I kind of went back to that moment and I felt sick, you know, I felt sick to my stomach. And I said, I don't know how we can teach or train our community uh, not to cry telling their story. I mean, these are stories of pain and suffering and difficulty. And, you know, we're not sharing them because um, we want somebody's sympathy, but we would like action, right? We would like treatments. We would like cures. We would like things to move faster. So we don't want to be the last in the line for vaccines. We don't want to be the one not invited to the table. So how do we strike that balance between telling our story and yet not being uh, a stereotype that works against our community? So one of my disease truths is that I hardly cry anymore. Almost never. <laughs> you know, Andre, somebody else made the same comment. I just can't cry anymore is what they tweeted. That's my rare disease tweet. Yeah. And, and, and it's not that I don't feel it. Right. It's just that it's, we're faced with um, our own, but really our community's um, challenges every day that are, that, that are heavy. And I feel all of it. I just almost never cry anymore. I mean, my first reaction anymore is just to go, wow. I mean, like how much more can we take? And you kind of laugh about it instead of cry. So I'm almost the opposite in that I don't cry in when I should cry, but I feel it. So it's tricky. It is really tricky. And, you know, and then you, there was the other tweet that talked about if you aren't a cute kid with a really, you know, very graphic or visual disease, you don't get the same kind of sympathy or attention. When you think about adults, we don't cry. We don't we don't wear that on our sleeves when we go around, right? Yeah. But we see children in pain and, and difficulty and they're the images on rare disease uh, posters and things like that. So, I mean, we are in that very, very precarious situation, whether, you know, do we, do we show vulnerability? Do we show strength? What is going to get us treatment, right? Yeah. Sometimes you don't even think about it. It is true. It, I mean, really, that is it. Until those tweets came out, I did not really think too much about it. I mean, when I first started on this thing, I was really a wreck, Andra. I could not tell my story without crying. And I think it's been almost four or five years now. And I, you know, at least get to some part of my story and not cry. And I can now think about actionable steps and I can think about, okay, this is my ask, which is very clear. And I'm not crying asking you this. I'm just thinking it's very logical for you to do this. Right. <laughs> you know, but how do you get to that spot? I think these conversations are so important to realize because rare disease is not two-dimensional. It is so multi-layered. So I think it's incredibly important. And what I've also seen with the hashtag is many chronically ill or people from the disabled community are speaking out. Yes. And they're ha they're adding hashtags like ADA, disability. And so we see this intersectionality happening that is very important for this space. Really important. And I've always wondered why we weren't 
more united in messaging and sharing stories. So I've been really thrilled to see that. Also, particularly in Black History Month, yes. there's a lot of intersectionality between rare disease and Black History Month and inequities in healthcare for common and rare diseases. It's certainly an area where we see a lot of overlap. It's so strange to say you're excited about reading things that cause people pain or that are heavy. But it's not until you release something from the shadows or the dark that you can address them. Yes. Right? So I think that's where my excitement is coming from. It, it is exciting and it sounds really very paradoxical. Like, why would you be excited about all these tweets? Because they're nothing but agony and pain. But they're not. There's been lighter moments as well. And there's been funny stories shared. And, you know, I think today the tweets were like, uh, share your rare disease as a meme. And yeah, right. <laughs> some of them were really funny. There are a lot of funny disease truths. A lot of funny disease truths. Right. So. Right. Exactly. But then, you know, it's really interesting to see and I compiled some of them in the first two days that the it went a little crazy and I was like oh my goodness I want to compile some of these so that I can share them on different platforms and those who make decisions can see some of these maybe it will impact some of the way they think about rare yeah honestly maybe the timing is just right because you know what I would be doing right now normally is starting to pack my bags yeah. to go to some rare disease event where I would get to see you and I would get to see all of our other friends and meet new champions of rare disease and do it together. And I'm especially like this will be a year, right? Last year, yes, the last time I traveled was for a rare disease event. And that's not going to happen this year. Yes, exactly. And I think that it is so important, Andra, that in the absence of that connection, in that absence of that physical bond that we so much crave, I think that the hashtag is uniting people in a way that hopefully it can be the movement that we need so desperately. Like my hope is, I mean, at the beginning, I never really had any plan for the hashtag. But my hope is that, you know, we get industry, we get more policymakers, decision makers, medical scientists and things like that to come in and understand and, and retweet. And I really hope that we can raise the movement to be what we need as a community to, to push the needle a little more in our direction. Right? Yes, yes. We have the BLM movement. We've got the ADA movement that actually gave the rights to people with disability, we as a community need that because we are so often stuck in our silos because of our rare diseases that are so isolating that we need something that's going to unify us, like really push the movement, right? And who knows, maybe this will be it and this will be the start of something. And I hope that we are able to take this movement this potential movement and really say, okay, when we get back together again, until then, let's keep moving forward. But when we do that, let's do it with a new united purpose. 
but when you when you think about it some of it also andra like some of the things that people are tweeting within our own groups within the confines of hidden spaces we've had these conversations right right i mean right. you know it's okay not to be okay like i've heard you say that to me i've heard others say it when in our spaces like after a long event whole day at rare disease day in the evening when we're just sitting this is what the some of the things we talk about in our small groups but now the hashtag has made it even more uh, accessible for everyone to say huh you know that's exactly how i'm feeling and so share it and so we're kind of doing away with the silos and really opening up to each other as a community i think that has been priceless it has been as you my dear have been priceless to me this year um i'm just so honored i have been for a long time to have these truthful conversations. And I, I think it's just absolutely fantastic that you decided that day to start this hashtag for whatever reason that has just taken off. The next two weeks will be really interesting to watch. And I look forward to seeing you on some Zoom event for Rare Disease Day, but, but it's not Zoom forever. I mean, for some people it is. Yes. And so I don't I vow to not forget that and make all events hybrid when possible. But for those of us who can, I'm I'm also really looking forward to moving beyond this time into uh, a new new beginnings, as you said at the beginning of this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Nina. I'm um forever grateful that you're willing to share your truth, your boys. Oscar the pup with us. It's it's been one heck of a ride and we will talk again. I know it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rare in Common podcast. If you enjoyed the program, you can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Rare in Common. Click, listen, feel. 